Over 30 years ago, and this is going to date me, an experience of grace took place in my life that I still remember. We were going to a conference in Rochester, Minnesota. I was a pastor in Grove City, Minnesota. The conference was being held at a hotel called the Kaler Hotel. And by the time I called, the only rooms left were rooms with single beds. I was going up with Lynn, and I had no desire to sleep in separate single beds with the kids on the floor, so I called around to some other hotels. And there was this upscale Radisson that had a special with rooms available, and it ended up being $3 cheaper than the Kaler. So I felt I actually felt pretty good about my about our arrangements. So we, we got to the Radisson on Friday, pulled up to the hotel, and I sent Lynn in because we had back all the way back then, and to this very day, we have the standing rule that whenever we have the opportunity to stay at a hotel, Lynn is the one who checks us in. You see, when it comes to hotels, it's like Lynn has this nose for grace, or I don't know, maybe she's a magnet for grace. And and over the years, we have often ended up getting more room than we paid for. And so she came back out and said, okay, our room is 1009, 1009, 1009. I'll take the kids up and get settled. You park the car and bring the luggage up. <laughs> How can you pass up an offer like that? So I pack, parked the car, got the luggage out, and, and I had luggage hanging from almost every appendage I could find because, of course, we were staying overnight. And and so I, I shuffled into the lobby, carrying all the luggage, found the elevator, deposited my load, and hit the button for floor 10. And nothing happened. It wouldn't go anywhere. I pushed it again. I thought, what in the world is going on? It, it just it wouldn't go. I knew it was working. I just It just wouldn't go where where I wanted it to go. Now, there's a little sign in the elevator that said Plaza Club Floors 10 and 11. I was 28 years old. I'd never been on a Plaza Club floor. I had no idea what that was all about, but I had a pretty good idea that room 1009 was on the 10th floor. So I pushed the button for the ninth floor, went to the stairs, walked up with all that luggage, and the door to the 10th floor was locked. And I, and I had one of those sinking feelings you, you know, that comes with that voice that says, uh-huh, once again... Lynn has gone somewhere that you can't even get into. So I went back down the stairs to the ninth floor, got back on the elevator thinking, I'm just going to have to go down to the lobby. There was no cell phone. There's no such thing as cell phones then. So I'm going to have to go down to the lobby until Lynn figures out that I'm not there and comes rescue me. And so I stepped into the elevator and there was a very official looking man in a uniform. I got on the elevator. He looked at me and said, you're Dan? I thought, Whoa. Something's up. And he took out a key. It wasn't a card. It was a key. It was a golden key. He put it in the keyhole, hit the button for the 10th floor, at which point the elevator went up. I got out. I walked to the door number 1009. I opened the door to this incredible room, (laughs) something like the ones Jesus went to prepare for us. I, I immediately looked behind the door for one of those priceless, and it wasn't there. And it just so happens that at that time, 30 plus years ago, that the 10th and the 11th floor of the Radisson Hotel in Rochester was the very private floor where if you need to know how much it costs, you shouldn't be there. I said, Lynn, you call those folks up. I mean, we might go down and check out tomorrow and find out we have to leave one of our kids as payment, and and we won't get to choose which one. (laughs) Now, before we go any further, let me point something out. Lynn understands grace. She understands that when you're in the process of getting grace, the last thing in the world you should do is holler for justice. I said, Lynn, you, you need to call them up. So she called them up, and it just so happens that two or three tour buses had unexpectedly come in, and they needed all the average rooms for the average bus people. And so they bumped us up to this mini match. It wasn't just a big room. It was a suite of rooms. It was so cool. 
They didn't have those little mints on your pillow. They had bowls of mints on the table. There was a private lounge for plaza club guests only. I went up there in the evening to work on my sermon, but I couldn't find any coffee. So I asked the concierge. I didn't even know what that was at the time. That's the person who gets paid to do whatever you want him to do. I said, don't you guys have any more coffee left? And he looked at me and said, no, but please let me make you a pot. <laughs> I thought, oh my goodness, I may be only making $15,000 a year. That's what I was making. But tonight I'm rich. Did I earn it? Absolutely not. Did I deserve it? Maybe, but probably not. Did I pay for it? Nope. Did I enjoy it? You better believe it. That's grace. Unearned, undeserved, unpaid, but greatly to be enjoyed. Riches and grace. And in God's economy, those two words come together for something far more significant than a night at an upscale Radisson. See, grace is the key which takes us up to the floor of God's riches, unearned, undeserved, unpaid, but greatly to be enjoyed. So welcome to my podcast, More Than Bread. My name is Dan, and I'm your host. I'm a pastor, husband of Lynn, who is an explorer of grace, a magnet of grace. And we're in the midst of a chapter that we've called Paul's Letters from Prison. First on the list is Ephesians, his letter to the church at Ephesus. And in the last handful of episodes, we've been digging into the first two chapters of Ephesians. And in the last episode, we finished up chapter two. But before we move on, I just want to take a few moments and review chapter one and two by pausing on a theme. And and you probably guessed it. It's the theme of grace. Now, there's a lot of amazing themes in the first couple of chapters and, and, and all throughout the book of Ephesians, community and relationships and Jesus, always, always Jesus. But this idea of grace, four times in the first two chapters, Paul talks about God's riches, which come to us unearned, and six times specifically, Paul lands on the grace of God. And the way Paul writes, especially if you're just listening to me and not following along, the way he writes, it's just one phrase after another, and you might actually miss it. But man, he is just obsessed with grace. In chapter 1, verse 2, his greeting is grace to you. In chapter 1, verse 6, it's, we are accepted. Why? So that praise would resound to his glorious grace. In chapter 1, verse 7, it says, we have forgiveness according to the riches of God's grace. In chapter 1, verse 18, it's the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. In chapter 2, verse 4, it's rich in mercy. In chapter 2, verse 5, it's by grace you have been saved. Chapter 7, show the riches of his grace. We are living demonstrations of the grace of God. And in chapter 8, of course, is the huge one. For by grace, you've been saved. Not your own effort. You can't boast about it. For by grace, you've been saved. So here's Paul. He's in prison, awaiting judgment, probably going to be executed. And he is so filled with awe. He's celebrating the grace of God. Ephesians 1 and 2 are a celebration of the undeserved, unearned riches that God showers upon us. Riches which, man, they make a night at the Radisson pale in comparison. Because what Paul is trying to tell us in Ephesians 1 and 2 is that what God has revealed in the cross, what God has revealed in the cross is that no matter how much you think you're worth, you can't afford what he has to give. And no matter how much you think you have, he wants to give you more. That's grace. Let me say it again. No matter how much you think you're worth, you can't afford what he has to give. 
And no matter how much you think you have, he wants to give you so much more. That's grace, and it's so rich. In fact, when describing grace, you maybe have heard this. Some people use grace as an acronym, and they say G-R-A-C-E, G-God, R-Riches, A-At, C-Christ, E-Expense. Grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. And what are God's riches that he's pouring out upon us? They're all over the place in chapter 1 and 2, and even going into chapter 3 and 4 and 5 and 6. But in chapter 1 and 2, Paul opens and closes these two chapters with a focus on relationships. There's a richness in the relationships that Jesus, that God has given us. For example, in chapter 1, verses 3 through 6, he writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. In Christ. That's that's a relationship. We are in Christ. And even as he chose us in him, God chose us. There's a relationship with God the Father because we are in Christ. God chose us before the world even began, that we should be holy and blameless in him. And in love, he predestined us for adoption. He's adopted us as his kids through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. Blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ, chosen by God, adopted into his family. And then in chapter 2, verses 11 through 22, the, the, the book in, the end of chapter 2, we looked at last week, excuse me, in the last episode, the focus again is on our new relationships. In verse 13, we are brought near by the blood of Christ. We're brought near to God and to each other. Verse 14, he himself, Jesus himself, is our peace. He's the reconciler who has made the two one. He's, he's brought Jew and Gentile together into one. No racial hostility. And in chapter 2, verse 16, he reconciles us, Jesus reconciles us both to God in one body through the cross. So reconciled to people, reconciled to God through the cross. Verse 18, through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. We have access to God by the Spirit, relationship, intimacy. And then, of course, in verses 19 through 21, that's where we kind of camped out a little bit in the last episode. We're being built together into the dwelling place of the Spirit of God. Together, relationship, we're a temple, we're, we're a sacred space, the people, the relationships. God inhabits our relationships. We become a sacred space, a, a temple, a dwelling place for God. And you see the riches of the relationships that God has given us through Christ. In Christ, we're accepted by God. I mean, think right now. Think of all the reasons why you have ever thought you were unacceptable to God. What did you do today that made you think, I don't know if God accepts me? What has happened to you in your past that makes you think, I'm I'm not sure if I'm acceptable to God? Bring them to your mind, just like Satan the accuser has done so many times. Your prayer life ain't so great. Your marriage is on the rocks. Your kids don't love you. (laughs) Your failures at work. Your secret sins. Last week, you didn't spend much time reading your Bible. You've never told a soul in your neighborhood about Jesus. Whatever is on your list of do's that you've don'ted and don'ts that you've done, let it come to mind. You got it? Is it right there? Is it crowding out your heart? Now, Now listen, hear the word of the Father, Father God to you. He's speaking to you as I say this. I chose you, God says. I chose you before the foundation of the world. I've adopted you as my very own child. I have a spot for you on my lap. You have a seat at my table. You are accepted. I mean, isn't that rich? 
Do we deserve it? No. Did we earn it? No. Could we ever pay for it? Absolutely not. Should we enjoy it? Oh, my gloriously gracious God, yes. And it's not just the relationships. Then there's the richness of redemption. He forgives us according to the riches of his grace. I remember hearing a long time ago a pastor by the name of Joe Garlington. He used to be big in the Promise Keepers movement, but he's a pastor in Pittsburgh. He said, if people don't think that what we're telling them is too good to be true, then we aren't telling them the good news. I talked with a young man a, few, uh, a number of years ago who had just become a Christian. He said, man, like I, I've done a lot of things in my life. And I said, yeah, but that's the whole point of the good news. It's all forgiven. It's like it never even happened. He said, wow, do you really think so? Man, I hope you're right. <laughs> See, it, it seemed to him like it was almost too good to be true. You know, sometimes we take the good news and we turn it into good advice, <laughs> People come to us in need of the riches of God's grace, and we give them the poverty of the law. We tell them all the things they need to do in order to be forgiven instead of just saying, did you know that God does not keep track of your sins? Did you know that God is not counting your trespasses against you? Isn't that credible? God does not keep track of our, he's not counting our trespasses against us. That's what the Bible says. Paul writes in another letter, 2 Corinthians in chapter 5, verse 19, he says, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. Who is God reconciling to himself? The world. Against whom is it that God is not counting their trespasses? The world. Who is the world? Isn't it everyone? Do you understand your biggest sin, your greatest failure, your deepest regrets, my biggest sin, my greatest failure, my deepest regrets, past, present, and even future, They are covered by the riches of God's grace. Do we deserve that? No. Did we earn it? Absolutely not. Could we ever pay for it? Uh Uh-uh. Should we enjoy it? Oh, my. If you don't, you're making a mockery of God. Yes, yes. Enjoy it. We say, wait, 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 wait a minute. There must be something I have to do. That, That kind of forgiveness is almost too good to be true. Bingo. That's the good news of grace. We're seated with Christ, blessed with every spiritual blessing, but we're broken and in need. We, we need grace. We need it as a gift. A, a number of years ago, I read a bit of Mike Ayers' story in the magazine Christianity Today. Mike, at that time, the time of the story, was a pastor of Fullerton, Fullerton Evangelical Free Church, which was Chuck Swindoll's former church, if you know him. But then he became a teaching pastor at Rock Harbor Church in San Diego. And and Mike has struggled with depression, anxiety, and panic attacks for a long time. They started after a simple knee surgery, and, and they just, they've never fully left him. And he described his journey with these words. He said, I began weeping uncontrollably. I, I woke up each day with a constant feeling of panic. I, I didn't know what to do. Praying, journaling, reading the Bible didn't help. Everything I normally enjoyed lost its spark and became just another reminder of how dark everything had become. I tried explaining this, he wrote, to to some of the, the leaders at my new church, but I didn't understand what was happening well enough to articulate it. I just knew that I went into surgery as one guy and I came out another. On top of the constant anxiety, a deep sense of shame, he said, settled upon me. I was humiliated by my struggle. I was the lowest I'd ever been, far beyond my ability to cover up. And one Easter morning, three months to the day after my surgery, the anxiety went away, just like that. But (laughs) 
Over the next several years, the anxiety and depression would come roaring back, seemingly out of the blue, and then disappear after time. I, I battled it, he wrote, at the best that I could, but it was taking a toll on my wife and my ministry. I vividly recall one Saturday night walking around in our backyard in the rain, sobbing and calling out to God for help. <laughs> I, I hate this. He said, I had to preach the next day on brokenness, and I absolutely hated being the illustration. Now, in the years since those days, through a holistic approach involving prayer and counseling and exercise and medication and the help of friends, Mike has found a way to persevere. But do you know what his biggest lesson has been? Here's what he writes. Listen to this. Throughout my journey with anxiety and depression, I was brought to the end of my own power. Let me say that again. I was brought to the end of my own power. And it was there that God's grace rested on me. I'd lost my hope in my personal charisma or chain, my sweet charm or my sweet stories or genius sermon illustrations. I was at the end of my power. I didn't have the resources to handle this. And it's at that point, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12, 9 through 10, that God does some of his best work. And I would say in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, same thing. <laughs> you know, over the course of the last few years, I have on occasion... <laughs> Heard people say, I probably said about this or that circumstance or difficulty that they're going through. Well, we know that God will never give us more than we can handle. And every time I've heard someone say that, I've responded, God never said that. In fact, I believe that God often gives us more than we can handle so that we are brought to a point where we have to trust in his abilities. We're brought to the point where we quit trying to earn it, and now he can pour out grace. Time after time in Scripture, we see this, whether it's Abraham and Sarah and Sarah being promised a child at 80 years of age, the people of Israel wandering 40 years in the wilderness, or Joshua standing at the banks of a raging river. That This is God's way. He brings us to the end of our strength, a place of weakness, so that his strength becomes visible so that his grace becomes all that we can see, brings us to the place where it's foolishness to trust in ourselves and we have to trust him or fail. Listen to me, God regularly brings us to the place where we're in over our heads so that we'll take his hand and be drawn into his heart. And you're saying, but but I don't want to be weak. I want to be the hero. I want to lead and make a difference. I want to be appreciated for what I've done. I want to overcome the obstacles, not embrace my limitations. I want God to strengthen me so that I can do it. Mike Ear writes, one of the reasons our ministries are so ineffective is because we don't make room for God's power since we're so enamored with our own. We don't make room for weakness everything in our churches has to be dynamic and excellent. So we schedule things by the minute, rehearse our transitions and prayers, seek out the next killer series or curriculum or program, and all the while Jesus has moved on to the people who have nothing other than him. See, I, I think this is what it means to be seated in the heavenly places with Christ. It's Jesus saying, listen to me, when you've come to the end of yourself, I've got a place here for you to sit. When you can't find the light in the darkness, I've got a place here for you to sit. When you just can't do it on your own anymore, you know that you can't earn it and you desperately need it. I'd like you to come sit here by me and watch what I can do. Watch what I can do in you and through you. When you come to the end of you, you'll find me. Come here then and sit because you're family. 
And then in that place where heaven meets earth, our very lives will put God's grace on display. That's what Paul is saying. In Ephesians 2, 6 through 10, God raised us up with Christ, seated us with him in the heavenly realms, in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Let me encourage you to take some time today and ponder God's grace. If you can't think of anything you've gotten from God that you haven't earned, ask him to root out that sense of entitlement. Make a list of the undeserved blessings, God's riches at Christ's expense, and then just respond to God. Father God, I I lift up each and every person who's listening. I, I pray especially, first of all, for those who feel they're unacceptable, who wrestle with shame and anxiety and worry, those who who are afraid that they've come to the end of all that they have to offer. God, would you God, would you pour out your grace upon them? Pour out your grace upon them. And I pray for those of us who think that we still got it. <laughs> we still got what it takes to do what needs to be done. God, in your patience and in your grace, would you continue to find ways to show us that we can't do <laughs> what needs to be done. Would you show us how amazing your grace is, the Father's riches at your expense. We thank you so much for all that you've done for us and all that you've given. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.